What up? What's going on? Um, did we ask people to subscribe and unsubscribe? Did that work? I don't think it worked. Uh, we got a bunch of videos of people doing it. Thank you for doing it. In my opinion, that experiment doesn't like uh, it doesn't move the needle too much. I don't. Okay. I don't know if that technique is a is a big technique. Let's answer the, the podcast keeps growing organically, but we didn't see a spike because we asked people to do it. Let's uh, answer all their questions. Um, do you want to answer them today or? I think next uh, Thursday because I didn't have them. I don't. I got a lot of them. Yeah. The problem, and I apologize to people who send me things on Instagram. I don't check that ever. Oh yeah, I didn't. You know, there's two inboxes on Instagram. Yeah, Facebook always does that with their. So I didn't know that that was even a thing, and I had all these nice people sending me reviews. You find it like a year later. Yeah, and I didn't even know that. So apologies. Um, I listened back to one of the episodes, which is a. the most uber uncomfortable thing you can do. I've not listened to one ever. Yeah, and I don't blame you. I listened back and. you know, you were saying you're very self-conscious now because we do the video, and that's how I am about the audio. Because I listen to it, and I'm like, what the fuck is wrong with me? Why no. am I talking this fast? Why am I breathing like that? <laughs> I think, no, I think you have got, you got actually have a great voice. I think you have good cadence. And someone at one of the meetups asked me, he goes, do you guys cut out silence? And I was like... On the audio, we do. You do? Ishan does that, yeah. Oh, I thought we didn't. And he was like, you guys are talking so fast. Yeah, so he, he cuts out ums, ahs, or big repetitions. Like if I say the same thing two different ways for no reason. Um, and then I think he cuts a little bit of the gap between us when he doesn't like it. He's like a perfectionist. I told him not to do it because it takes him like six hours no, to do every that. time. Uh, he's like, like, it makes it. a difference. And I was like, I don't know if this shit makes a difference. I got compliments from it. Okay. All right. Well, this, thought, he's going to justify it now. That's crazy. I just thought we were talking fast. No, people <laughs> like the, the... We do talk fast, but it's the in-between where he speeds it up and then he cuts out any like extraneous bullshit people like it you know i also got tons of compliments from Stu a few episodes back people liked him people like Stu. yeah high approval rating people like he Stu. doesn't have to drop out of the presidential race like everybody else all right what do we got today uh speaking of presidential did you want to talk about bernie is that what your first thing up here? Uh, i have a thing up there but i didn't research enough but i'll talk about it just quickly so a bunch of people on twitter were freaking out because bernie's proposing this tax on vested shares that you haven't actually cashed in yet okay and tech people were like oh okay there goes the startup scene like well you know if you're gonna so tax people on vested shares that they haven't actually received the prop like th- this company's not liquid and so but there are some nuances like it's written here it's tax on non-qualified stock options of at least a hundred thousand you know if you have over a hundred thousand in stock uh stock options that are vested and you're an employee who's making at least 130k so it's not everybody and it's not all types of What's things that? so it's not rsu's it's ISOs, I believe. Okay, so I'm not an expert in this stuff at all. I'm not an expert in politics. Me I know neither. what I believe, but I don't know the technical details. So, well, let's agree to talk out of our ass for so, two minutes. I'm not going to talk about that, actually. But here's what I am going to talk about is starting a company and how it worked with us. And this will... Because I do know that a lot of people think like, oh, the rich are doing this. They don't understand things. So when we started The Hustle, I saved up $25,000 to start it. With that $25,000, I made sixty grand in profit in six weeks, which is pretty good. And the first year in business was roughly $380,000 in revenue. And most of it was profit because I paid myself. Uh, we were in, I think we were an LLC. I withdrew $2,000 a month in salary. salary um, and that's how I paid my bills. My rent was cheap, very cheap, hundreds of, th- hundreds of dollars a month. Um, and I lived off $1,200 um, beyond that. Beyond that, I was very, I lived very, very, very frugally. Um, and then we decided to raise a little bit of money. I raised, I think, $300,000 from people at a $3.5 million valuation. And you had to change from being an LLC at this point, right? Yep. Changed to, to become uh, an S Corp, I think. It was an S Corp? Probably a C Corp. I don't remember. I, see, this is, I'm not an expert in this. Yeah. Um, you want to be a C Corp if you're going to take investment. That's just like, if you don't have to study all the differences between them, but if you're going to take. Like traditional investment, they're going to want you to be a C corp. So we converted. It cost five grand to do that. At this point, we probably had half a million dollars in the mm, three hundred thousand dollars in the bank account. I don't. I don't remember between three hundred and five hundred thousand by the end of our first year, uh, and we raised money at a three and a half million dollar valuation. And then once we started doing stock options and stuff like that, we signed up to Carta, and they gave us a uh, what's it called, a four hundred nine a. Yep. Where we got um, so that four nine a just values your company at some numbers. Yeah, so you guys had revenue, so they probably took some standard multiple. Yeah, of so revenue. they valued us, and you want it to be low at this stage. Yeah, so they valued us in the millions of dollars of range. I, I don't remember. 
it could have been three and a half. It could have been six. I don't right. remember the number. Whenever these types of businesses are, and, that's what they value. And you as. want it to be low because that's what your share price is. That's what your stock options are going to be if you're an employee. Uh, you want to get in at the sort of low valuation. So when it sells at a high valuation, you get this sort of uh, increase in value. But if they, if the 409A comes back high, then um, you're not going to get you know as much of a lift on your share price. And so at this point, our 409A is many tens of millions. Um, which is nice. That's cool. We have a valuable business. Um, but when we started, it was single digit millions, which was still a lot. I was 24 at the time. I, I said I started with $25,000 and I was taking $2,000 a month. I was not saving any money. Right. Okay. Um, I'm not complaining because it worked out. But so on paper, I was a millionaire, multiple millionaire. If I had to pay, um, I think. I forget what this. I don't want to like act like I know what I'm talking about. I, let's say if I if I had to pay 20% in taxes on that multiple millions of dollars, yeah, you wouldn't have had. The I money. literally wouldn't have had any money to do it. Right. Even if I wanted to withdraw money from our business account, I would have had to lay people off. Or right. I, I, I like so when people say so, certain people are hoarding money or something like that. A lot of times it's not true. Right. And I have a lot of founder friends that have businesses that are on paper worth hundreds of millions of dollars. Right. And they have tens of thousands of dollars saved. That's In the it. bank account, yeah. So They're not liquid. Yeah, I think people need to... And this also happens if you're an employee, um, you leave a company, you usually have what they call an exercise window, which might be 30 days, 60 days, 90 days. Um, I, think the, I think the normal about is 90, 90 days. Um, so that gives you three months to come up with the money to buy your options or you lose them. Yep. And a lot of people don't have that money because like, you know, they, they leave one company, it's a startup, and now their shares are worth 80 grand or 180 grand and they need to go, they want to go do a different job. And um, now they need to come up with 80 or 180 grand to buy out their options. That's not still a guarantee that that money's coming back. And often people don't have that money sitting in the bank. So they'll forfeit their options, which is a, a true bummer. Some companies are being cool about it. Pinterest, uh, a couple others, I don't remember, maybe Stripe. They increase their exercise window to seven years or six years. That's crazy. So they're like, look, cool. we know this practice is a little bit crazy. Uh, it's hard to come up with that cash. And you worked here, you earned your shares, so we're not going to try to take those back. You have the longer window because we might be private for longer, which is kind of a cool trend. So More my W2, company should do that. My W two income. So at this point, I make money in eight or ten different ways. I got loads of things that just it just has added up over time, and that's great. And I still pay myself a salary. I pay myself um, not that much. I'm not the highest paid person here. Yeah. And I, um, but my W two salary. I, we're going to be four years old. Uh, I've been working on this as a project since 2014. We're going to be four years old as officially in April. I, uh, oh, next month. I, uh, my W two salary in year one I think was twenty four thousand dollars. Year two maybe thirty six, and then year three then I started go, uh, going higher. Right, because the business was established yeah. at that point. But my W two income historically has been low. Right, quite low. And so when I saw this and I saw people getting mad at rich people, I'm like. I bet people thought I was rich, but I wasn't. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And you wouldn't have qualified for this because it says you have to be making at least 130K. But uh, like, but if I had to pay 30% years, tax on my stock now, it would be... Painful. Fucking hard. Yeah, you'd be in a really tough spot. So, you know, Bernie, I like Bernie, but this is a little bit crazy. This will really screw up... Uh, the way the startup ecosystem works, but it can also adapt. I'm they not even going to take a stand if I think it's crazy or not. I just am giving a perspective of my business, and right. I bet, and and I think I I now I think I have a lot more cash than even most people who have companies that are huge. What's your biggest regret in the way you set up or organized or structured the company? I wish I wouldn't have raised money and I would have just owned it all. And why is that? Because I would be greedier and richer. You, um, you didn't end up needing that capital. It's hard to say because it worked. It worked. Um, if I wanted to start fresh again, I would have been able to do it. I and can start now. What about advice? A lot of people think, oh, this person's so successful, right? You raise money from a bunch of cool, smart, successful people, either in media or not in media. Yeah, so that was helpful. Was that truly like, so did you get your sort of values worth on the advice component? Yes. Because I don't, I'm not sure that that typically plays out that way, but Fuck I think you yeah, did. Yeah, it works. Okay, so look, our network is so fucking powerful. Me and you, our network is so powerful. I have, I think, 35 investors, ranging from Tim Ferriss, the founders of NerdWallet, which is, who knows what that's worth, billions of dollars, um, um, the founder of The Chive, founders of Bleacher Report, 
um, who else? Um, j- just look it up. A lot of people. And I text them. I just text right. them. I'll say... You get a lot out of them, and I'll tell you two things that you do that gets a lot. First, your investor updates, which you send. You used to I, send more frequently. Now I send them quarterly, but before, I for monthly, right? 36 months, I send them every single month. Every single month, and the it was so well organized. It was basically like... Um, Hey, here's all the key metrics. You don't beat around the bush. It's like, this is how much cash we got in the bank. This is how much we made this month. This is how much the email list grew. This is how much our open rate was. Boom. That's number one. Number two, and what was your second sort of so section? I would, I, I, the way that I set it up, I was like, oh, numbers. I go, just here's the numbers. There's no interpretation. It just, right. What it all is. right, let's get into it. Numbers. Boom. Okay, then I go, uh, and then I do things that are going well. Things are not going well. I need your Ask. help. Yeah. Yes or no. Yeah, it was great. And... Um, you sent that to so you did the work to keep them engaged and mm-hmm. stay top of mind. Do not under, under underestimate this if you're doing your business. If there's people who are willing to help you out, you got to find a way to stay top of mind. Um, and and part of it is you you share frequent updates. And there's a very good sign if you're an investor if you're one of your companies stop sending their updates for a bit. Uh, that company is about to die or they're on their way to dying and they go into a shell. And Paul Graham has this great post which is just like. Um, as an investor, when you see that, you know it's time to go check in. And as a founder, ironically, that's when you need the help the most. Yep. So don't go quiet when you need the help the most. That's when you need to be talking and asking. And uh, maybe you actually won't die if you if you can keep that going. What other mistakes have we made? Um... So I always regretted the um, – I think that the, the normal way that people give out equity is a little too founder greedy. Um, so I wish I had given more equity to my team. Um and so, like, you know, basically, I wish I had just negotiated it better between what do I get, what do the investors get, and what does my team get? I think it was imbalanced. I think some of what the investors got, the team should have got. Some of what I had, I, the team should have got. Uh, because really, like, the people who are there as person four, five, six, really, they're taking just as much risk as you are in, in a way. Uh, like, they were there when it wasn't obvious that this was going to work. And so for the all-stars, I wish I had given more. And next time, my next company, I'll do just that. I will do, make sure the core to... four, core five people, I'll make sure it's not like... Like, typically in a company... How big would the pool be? So I, I don't know exactly what the pool will be, but let's say let's go with what's typical. So typical company, two co-founders, you start 50-50. You're going to raise some money. They might end up taking 25 to 30% of the company, um, depending on how it goes. Let's call it 25%. And so, you know, as the founders, you, you've diluted down. You're at, I don't know, my math's bad, but let's say you're both at, uh, what is that, 30-something, 30 35% each now. And... Um, and so, you, you know, that's where you're at. And then your team, the option pool, they typically say is like 10 to 15% is your sort of option pool. Yeah. So the first few employees might have like, you know, the key person might get like 1% to 3%. And then everybody else is below that, is below 1% essentially. And I just think that's like a pretty hard skew. So I would try to get multiple people in the sort of one to one to four percent range. Uh, I would try to have like my core, my core team all be in the over 1% range for sure. And whether that means I take the haircut or investors take the haircut, that's what I would do if it's a tech company. I think this is very idea. different if you're not a high growth tech company. Would if you you're start a, it in San Francisco again though? I'd start it wherever I live. And so if I'm, if I wanted to live here, yeah, I'd start it here. Um, if I wanted to live somewhere else, I'd start it somewhere else. Now you can start it definitely anywhere. So it's just about your preferences. I, if I was going to start again, another thing that I would do is I would go and get a job somewhere and just make like when i started i hadn't i didn't i was always self-employed mostly um i wish i would have worked somewhere maybe for a little while before you did it or you mean as a do something as a side hustle before oh you just get the experience yeah i think it would have been nice and to save money that's interesting i wouldn't have thought you'd say that i uh, think it would be helpful um to to understand how things work. i think if you did it for three months you'd be like okay i'm done <laughs> it would have been nice i got to it stack some <laughs> money away yeah that's fair but uh, hey it all worked out you want to talk about some stuff yeah let's talk about some ideas okay um okay let's take a quick break and let me ask you a quick question when did noah build the ark after the rain after the flood no before the rain so as an entrepreneur Quiet Light Brokers wants to remind you to prepare before you want to sell your business. You don't just sell it right when you want to. You plan your exit for six figures, seven figures, or eight figures. Quiet Light Brokerage is a group of trusted advisors that can help you not just survive the tides, but exit on your own terms for the price you want at the time you want to the buyer that you want. You know, As you chart your way towards an exit, you got to first start by understanding the value of your business. 
If you want to see a 25-point checklist to see how well your business scores across the four pillars that they have seen drive value when they, uh, for all the sales that they've seen in their portfolio, you can find that checklist at quietlightbrokerage.com slash myfirstmillion. That's quietlightbrokerage.com slash myfirstmillion. Check out the free assessment. See how your business scores. If you want, you can get a free consultation for your business as well, but no pressure, no gimmicks, no sales pitches. Uh, you know, Quiet Light is an entrepreneur-led organization. The founders have built and sold businesses, bought businesses before themselves. They're not just, you know, sort of quick fly-by-the-night brokers. And they advise you to use the best data to help business owners like you reach your financial goals. So grab the free guide. It's over at quietlightbrokerage.com slash myfirstmillion. Support the pod. Go check them out run the world i'll start there so I saw cool perfect timing perfect timing so these guys have been working on this obviously before this uh two i think female founders and what this is is it's a digital conference so especially with coronavirus and you've had major major conferences shutting down so facebook's f8 conference done um Sales i believe law canceled i believe gdc is done um you know like i predict south by southwest but this episode will air in a couple days i bet you they're going to cancel yeah so tons of these conferences are closing and i've always this is a great experiment because i've always wondered why aren't there more digital conferences now we built a product called blab that was sort of like this people used it this way a bunch of podcasters threw a conference on our platform and i just thought hey this is cool because you could be remote you could be anywhere in the world you can attend this thing and what does a conference have it has speakers Cool, you can stream that online, no problem. It has like exhibitors. Cool, you could do that online if you wanted to. And it has the networking, and that's a little bit harder to do online, but you could do that as well. It's missing the biggest component, though. Which is what? Serendipity. Yeah, you have to engineer that serendipity into the product. That's the biggest part. So these guys claim that they sort of have recreated all of that. I don't know, I haven't used it yet. But the cool thing is we're now going to find out because with all these conferences canceling, Run the World is taking advantage, and they're going to all the conferences as they're saying... Um, hey, host it on our platform. We make this really easy for you. They have a cool model where basically it's no money in. Uh, they just take 25% of the ticket sales. Who, whose computer is up here? Can, can you Google run the world? Pull, yeah, pull, pull it up. And so they raised a bunch of money from Andreessen Horowitz this yeah, week. Yeah, a lot of money. Uh, they announced it. And um, <laughs> it's funny. Henry just run Googled the run the world and the Beyonce song came up, which is hilarious. <laughs> My friend had a company called Little Things. Which is the... Is that another song? It's what's the boy band with Harry Styles. That was oh, it's a... What are they called? Five? Yeah, something, something like that. That's um, all right. You could talk, Alan. Yeah, Run the World Today. Run the world dot today is the URL. So live events worldwide. Anyways, I think this is cool. And we're going to find out if this is... Li- like, they've been dealt the best hand for their product right now. And we'll see if they can pull this off. That's interesting. Do you think that the... Um, like, I think we should do one of these for the listeners. Like, just like you do the New York meetup, I think we should just try, just to take this for a test drive. I think we should just do an okay. impromptu one and uh, hang out with people, get let everyone meet each other. I'm down. I, uh, okay, if we had to make predictions if this is going to work, so I what, would say the safe bet. The safe bet's always no. The safe bet's always no. Okay, but if you had $100 million, would you invest $2 million into this business? Uh, I don't know who these people are, and I haven't played with the product, so that's the caveat. Let's say I met the people, and I played with the product, and I felt like they did the thing you said, which is it wasn't just a live stream of content or a chat room. Like There was some way to engineer the serendipity of a network of the networking in a conference or the discovery of new products, right? Like So if I felt like they did something different besides just a teleconference, like live stream, then I would buy in. But that's I got to feel the magic. That's a stock photo. So there's a Henry's pulling up a photo right now of a mug that says hustle. We use that photo. That's from Splash That. <laughs> <laughs> he was looking at it. He thought that they stole it. Yeah, Henry was uh, writing up a cease and desist like during the podcast. That's great. <laughs> okay. Run the world. Uh, internet conferences. Uh, hmm. You're in or out. I am going to say 51% in. Okay. All right. We'll take it. So well, here's what we'll do. By the time this airs, I'm going to have set up the Run the World conference. The link to it is going to be in the show notes, and we'll, we'll figure it out. So go in the show notes right now if you're listening to this well, let's, and, uh, uh, and get a ticket to attend our conference, and we'll try this out. We'll, and then we'll let everyone decide, is this cool or is this like one of those ideas that sounds good in theory, but it misses the magic and never works? Uh, Henry, go to GoDaddy.com real quick. Pick a URL, and we'll send them to that URL as well. Uh, I, mean, I hate going to the show notes. Okay. 
uh, either way, uh, let, we, I mean, we could just put it on our myfirstmillionpodcast.com. Myfirstmillion.com? Yeah. Myfirstmillionpodcast.com. Okay. Myfirstmillionpodcast.com. Yeah. It will be a It will redirect to this. Do you want to charge for it? Yeah, yeah. The tickets will be whatever. I don't know. We'll pick a number. Okay. Uh, we'll make it cheap. Uh, 20 bucks. 20 bucks. And what it will be is, uh, what will it be? We'll invite our friends. So we'll invite some of the people that we think are the most interesting. We'll we'll do a talk on hey how do we build you know we'll we'll get, we'll do the things you do in a conference right so a couple speakers a fireside chat and then networking where people can meet each other okay and we'll limit it to a hundred people yeah okay hundred people that some amount of money myfirstmillionpodcast.com yeah there you go we'll try it out all right sweet what else we got on the on the agenda um, oh I have one scroll down you want to talk about some book club stuff yeah when I moved to San Francisco I started a book club called the Anti MBA. And I did it because I didn't go to an, uh, an elite Ivy League school, but I was always envious of those people because when I moved here, I didn't know a single soul. And I felt I always like stereotyped people as like tall, beautiful <laughs> white teeth with Patagonias and they had like lovely networks. <laughs> that's I, what you saw all around yeah, you. Yeah, just like these like rich white people who that's how I, I was like, right. That's how I imagined it. And it kind of was that. Um, And I was always envious of that. So what I did was I created a book club meeting where we would meet every week and we would read one book a month and I would convince an expert. How did you convince people to join this? Where did you throw it up? On your blog? I'm just uh, a cold email guy. I just learned how to cold email people. And I, I did it online. So each week we would have... 30 people show up and I probably had an email list of 5,000 people who would... I so would this was not in person. This was all online. 30 people in person. Sieva. Yeah. Um, all, a lot of my best friends I met this way. 30 people. Um, my friend had an office and he let me use it. And um, we would just meet up and I would and I would read a week ahead of time and just make notes and lead the discussion. And sometimes we would have an expert. Okay. And then I would send show notes or meeting notes to the list. And people loved it. I made close to no money off of it, or I don't think I made any money off of it. I just did it for fun, and it was very success successful. And a lot of people said that we should make it a thing. I think it's a stupid. I thought it was a stupid idea, but book clubs are actually kind of interesting. So there's this uh, business called Book of the Month Club. It was started, in the, I believe, it was started in the 1930s. At this point, it's owned by uh, it was owned by Bertelsmann, which is a large publisher, a multi billion dollar publisher, and then recently uh, a private individual bought it for single digit millions of dollars. Um, in in the 40s, 50s, and 60s, this was massive. I mean, it was uh, uh, millions of people paid for it. So it was quite a large business, hundreds of millions of dollars, probably in the 60s and 70s. Uh, it's gone away once Amazon came around. Um, a guy bought it a couple years ago, and it's quite large still. And what they do is uh, scroll down a little so bit. This is 90 million users? What the hell? No, that's Goodreads. Oh, that's Goodreads. Okay. And so Book of the Month Club now has 100,000 active paying customers, Wow. which means they're in the revenue range of 10 to 15 million a year in recurring revenue. And they, the founder said in an interview, he uh, uh, his goal is to grow 5x a year. For five X a year, nice. For the next year, not consistently. I don't know if that's. I think that's bogus. But uh, book of the month are, is kind of an interesting thing. I suspect. I've always thought that it would would not work. Now my opinion has changed. So Goodreads has a hundred million users. There's this thing called Wattpad. Have you heard of Wattpad? I've heard of it. Yeah. Wattpad. A lot of people don't know about it. Wattpad. It's owned by a guy in Canada, and they have four hundred employees. It's a multiple hundred million dollar year business, I believe. They. It's a book club for. It's not a book club. It's more. You write so, on it. You you write original stories. On yeah, it. but it's their category is romance, middle middle America romance novels. Yep. So if you're uh, a forty year old woman, you probably have heard of Wattpad. You're saying that's the most popular category or yeah that's but that's pretty much all they do oh I mean, really okay it's basically for women who it's like men do video porn romance novels is woman porn i mean that's basically <laughs> what it is um and so a huge business and now i'm quite bullish now on these book, book clubs. clubs yeah yeah reese witherspoon has a book club my wife uses it my sister so many people have you heard of this no What's i haven't this heard called? of that it's one. called sunshine some fucking thing but Oprah, Oprah had hers, but hers wasn't a paid membership. But this is really smart. Like what you're describing, I'm like, oh, this is good. And I think you got to have, um, probably not got to have, but it's advantageous here to have a brand like a Reese Witherspoon or whoever, Jennifer Aniston or Gwyneth Paltrow or whoever, or like the Hustle could do a book club. You could do a book club. Like I think that you have to have a, a bit of cachet to organize people around to get the energy going. That initial energy you need. So here's one angle: you buy the rights to the book, which is expensive. Yeah, why would you do that? Well, because 
I think the margins in books are quite small. I've talked to Tim Ferriss about this. He told me that he earns, um, I he didn't say that he didn't tell me this, but he told me. I mean, I think that he does about a million a month in revenue off his podcast. And he told me that he, this is what he did tell me. He has made ten times more money off the podcast than all of his books, books combined. Right. So I I don't think people get paid a lot of money for books. So right. the margins are so just, it might be a cheap asset. You're saying? Yeah, I think it's quite cheap. Um, so I would want to, my goal would be to buy the rights to the book and make it popular. You know who, um, have you heard of, um, there's this company that owns, uh, the company that owns proactive it's called, uh, gun, gun, um, I know what you're talking about. It's the skincare. It's a direct marketing company. They, the guy who owns it, it's a quite large business. He got his start because he bought the rights to think and grow rich. Oh, really? And he helped make it popular again. Oh, wow. Through infomercials. So that's what I would do is I would want to buy the rights to all the books. Um, and there's another company called MentorBox that does this. And Ty Lopez is one of the owners. So it's incredibly scammy. I mean, <laughs> like you sign up for like $20 and then it rolls into like a $400 a month thing. It's like fucking stupid. Um, but book clubs are super interesting to me. So would you do this? Uh, like if you were going to do this now, how would you attack it? What would you do? So you'd buy the rights of the, you'd buy the rights no, of which books? If I wanted to bootstrap it, no, yeah. you can't. How, how would you do it? So what I would do is I would look at what Vinyl Me Please. Vinyl Me Please is my friend's business. It's a uh, probably a couple million bucks a month subscription thing. So what you do is you give them fifty dollars a month and they send you a vinyl once a month. Right. And so I would do that, but for a particular type of category. So what I would do is I would create a Facebook group and I would say it's $30 or $50 a month and we're going to read one book a month. I'm going to get one expert to come and talk about the book uh, each week or each month. We're going to do it in a Facebook group and I'm going to send you notes about the whole book. And what uh, category do you think you'd choose? Would you do the romance novel or would you do business or would you do self-help? Well, just because I have such a network in business that I could just crush Start it right off the business, bat. Yeah. But romance novels, I know this from experience because I've invested in these types of things. Romance novels have the have the highest liquidity, uh, as in people consume them the most. Right. So I would, They're like voracious readers. Five five yeah, times the number of books the, read. The ca- romance category is probably one of the most... It's probably the most popular category on Kindle. Yeah. I, I bet you it is. So okay. me I like personally, I would start here. But if I w- even slightly was interested in romance novels, I would. And I like what this guy did, uh, buying the rights to the Book of the Month Club for you know some a popular asset that's sort of decayed over the last thirty years, and uh, see if you can revitalize it on the cheap. I, I think these so are interesting books, businesses. There's so many books that I love that are written in the '60s and '70s, and you try to buy them on Amazon, and they're hundreds of dollars because they've just been forgotten and they don't reprint them. Right. Um, I just tried to buy a book the other day for. That, that someone mentioned on Twitter and it was $900. <laughs> what book? It was, so I just tweeted about Agora, that's the scammy um, company, um, uh, which we can talk about if we want, but the it was all about copywriting. It was 900 bucks. Wow. Um, okay, yeah, let's talk about Agora. Okay, you want to hear about Agora? Okay. So okay. Agora is is what? It's a B2B paid newsletter company. Uh, yeah. That Henry, go has to, absurd revenue. Go to my Twitter account. Okay, so here's another interesting company. I know this because I'm in this world and it's directly related to us. Yeah, just yeah, just the Sampar. Yeah, whatever. That's fine. Um, okay, so Agora. Crazy interesting background. So Agora was started by this guy named Bill Bonner in the 1970s. He was a publisher. He had a, a, a magazine um, about money and investing and things like that. And then he decided to start uh, changing how he did his marketing and he created a newsletter that became quite popular. Um, at this point, uh, it, you'll see it. It's the most popular one. No, up higher. At this point, they make, it's rumored, to be one and a half to $2 billion a year. And the way that they do this, there it is, they own 20 to 40 different newsletter publishers. And what they do is, is they buy a ton of traffic to their funnels, their marketing funnels, and right off the bat, they'll sell you a $50 product. Right. And once you buy that $50 product, they now have a large database and email list of qualified buyers who are interested in a particular topic. And they typically lose money on this first purchase. So let's say that they have a book that's 50 bucks. They'll spend up to $200 to acquire you, mm-hmm. meaning they'll buy a ton of ads and they'll, they'll lose money on you. But they'll make it up because on the they call it a back end. On the back end, they sell you a $2,000 paid newsletter. And this company in particular, they even sell supplements and shit. Now, some people think that they... Some people love them. And when you own 20 or 40 different brands, you're going to have some legitimately great products. Right. So They're what's no, their best product? Um, 
moneymappress.com or yeah, Money Map Press. I so think this is called. for hedge funds, for for financial traders. No, What's this um, for? yes, some financial traders. Their their typical audience is white men between fifty and seventy who th- who who are conservative and believe in like the government's going to come and like take your money. <laughs> um, I mean that because so like so I signed up some of their funnels and there was shit like if you go to Breitbart.com you'll see an ad that says like Nancy Pelosi's coming for your money. And things like that, and you sign and that up. That takes to, you through one of the Agora funnels, uh huh. And it's a five dollar book, and then yeah, and then you'll you'll go through these funnels. If, now, let's just get rid of the whole unethical part because you can learn from everyone. Who cares if it's unethical or ethical? It's fascinating regardless, and you can learn from it. What they're experts at is copywriting, and everyone in Silicon Valley—not everyone, but you know—you get the point—is all about design. It's got to look good. It's got to be aesthetic. Right. Their websites are a blank page with text right not just text but like fucking five thousand words and a buy now button at the very bottom it's crazy that's fascinating that is fascinating and i think you're you know you know that peter Thiel quote where it's like what's something you believe to be true that few would agree with you on yeah i feel like you, you know you might have many but one of them would be copywriting over design any day copywriting over design 100 percent. most day. people I, I remember when i learned the word copywriting because I was like, what is, what is everyone talking? What is copy? Why does everyone keep saying this? And like, I literally was at work and people were like, hey, can you give me some copy? I was like, coffee? What, did she just asked me to go get a coffee for her? Like, I had no idea what the fuck she was talking about. And uh, and then I sort of learned, oh, copy means text that's going to go on the website. And then through you, I realized, hey, wait a minute. The text that's on your website is essentially your salesman. And sales gives you the money. I should Cop- probably learn how to do this. And then I went deep is, on it. It's the most important skill you can learn. Because I've spent years learning it. If you just give me a blank page. web page... <laughs> I will I will make money until I die. Right. I will always have a job because I can do that. Right. Now, what I could do is do really unethical shit and scam a lot of people really easily. But if you know how to copyright, do or uh, you know how to persuade via the written word. No, yeah, I would say persuasion is the most important skill, whether it's through the written word, verbally, um, you know, I don't know if there's some other yeah, but copywriting <laughs> variation. Copywriting is just the form in which you learn it. Now, the way that I describe it is if you're a good copywriter, you understand what motivates people. And if you understand what motivates people, you can create products that they'll want. That will appeal to people. Yeah. yeah. And then if you are co- – uh, that that's the – when you do copywriting, you just learn what motivates people. And then you just happen to use the written word to right. communicate. Yeah, uh, when when you mentioned the boron letters, and then I just went deep on that. That was like my foray into this. So we'll we'll do a whole section on. Did you read the boron copywriting. letters? Yes, and then I started like doing all the things in it uh, because I got obsessed. So the boron letters. If anyone's curious, Gary Halbert is his name. He's dead now. He died of a heart. It's attack. actually kind of hard to find. It's hard to find, but and there's then, there's one link, and if you get to it, it's like chapter one, two, three, and it yep. goes to nineteen or whatever. It's this copywriter who's one of the best copywriters of all time, and what he would do is. He was such a good copywriter that he kind of turned into a crook. And so he would write these sales letters to buy like encyclopedias or and buy like fucking anything. Just shit. So the boron letters are the way it starts. It's like he's writing to his son. He's in jail. He's in jail writing to his son. And he doesn't start off by being like, here's how you copyright. He's just writing to his son. And it's one by one. And each one's a teaser. Every sentence teases the next sentence. And every letter teases the next letter. And then by the time you get 20 deep, you're like, this guy's a master. It is awesome. So read that. Um, All right. What do you got, Sean? A couple others. Okay. So here's an idea. So I was uh, talking to my cousin and... um, so we were talking about like one of my cousins, he's young, he goes on dates, uses the apps, boom, boom, boom. And then like our aunts and uncles are always like, oh my God, look at him. He's just swiping left and right. He goes on dates. It's like really foreign concept to them. And uh, so that was one data point. Okay. Just kind of noticed, wow, my aunts and uncles, they really don't get it when it comes to this online dating thing. Data point two, I'm watching the debate and um, it was, re- I watched so much shit online that when I watch traditional TV, first of all, it's so slow. And secondly, I start to see the commercials and I'm like, oh, this is what's being advertised to mainstream America. Like Just cars and it's drugs. It's very fascinating. So like Noom was on there, which is like the diet, like nutrition plan thing. Yeah. They do really, really well. N-O-O-M. Um, we should break them down later. They but, advertise. But the other one was mean. some, uh, it was the, this gray haired woman comes on the, on the screen and she's like, oh, online dating, where do I start? 
And then it's like, well, open up your browser, type www. and then the URL. It's like, and then start clicking around. Like that was literally the, that was the ad. It was like, how do I even get started? It's like, here's what how you get started online dating. I don't remember the name. Oh come on! It wasn't like a match or you know, I had never heard of it before. So I started thinking, and I was like, um, you know, there's so many people that are sort of in my sort of uh, extended family and whatnot that are divorced and they're alone. And so I was thinking about them. And I was like. You know, it'd be great if they found someone, but the reality is they don't do a lot of online dating because it's so scary and foreign. And it's not the online part that's scary. It's the expectation that you then need to go meet somebody. And so, like, let's take my uncle, for example. My uncle's, I don't know, 65 years old. He is divorced. He gets lonely. His kids are all grown up. Everyone left the house. And... um you know, he doesn't want to actually like <laughs> it'd be great if he met somebody who was awesome and they could just like be companions for the rest of their life. But he's sort of like, dude, I don't want to get out there. Like last time I went on a date was 40 years ago. Like uh, I think I'm just out of the game. It's easier to be lonely than it is to put yourself out there. So anyways, long preamble for the idea. The idea is uh, a service that's for older people. Let's make it just 50 and up as a, as a rule. And it's called just talking. <laughs> and the expectation is you're going to go on here with other people who are like you or are sort of single, might be alone, looking for companionship, but it's just talking. You can't meet. It's not their real names. It's nothing. It's just somebody you could log onto the computer and just talk to either through audio or text. And you could talk to them continuously or you could switch and pick somebody else and talk to them. But it's just companionship as a service. Um, for And it, it's not dating. You're not going to start going out with this person. You're not trying to get remarried. You're just getting the reps in. You just don't want to be lonely at home anymore. <laughs> And honestly, you can have a virtual relationship, uh, you know, through this. And it's because I was also watching Love is Blind. So good. And I was like, dude, somebody should make an app that's just this now uh, off the back of this Such show. Such a good idea. And so, anyways, these are sort so of some ideas. Let's what do you learn think? about it by, I love it. I love it. Winner. That's a winner. Um, what I would do is I would go and do research on the sex hotlines that used to exist that probably don't exist anymore right and i would want to learn how they work i bet they crushed so i'll shout out some like tangentially related so sex hotline related but obviously masterpiece the one that for sex that killed it then there's one uh, a startup out here in san francisco called papa have you heard of this papa yeah no papa is uh grandkids as a service so it's just young people uh that you that will just come over to your grandparents house and just do stuff for them um and like talk to them but like also do their laundry and like take out that Are they trash doing well? I don't know if they're doing well or not. They just launched. They raised a bunch of money. And um, because there's this huge aging population of the baby boomers. And so there's this wealth of opportunities that are for these, this the largest generation of people ever in America is now getting old. And uh, I, f- I forgot this woman was calling it the... Um, the the gray new world and you know for gray hair and so she's like you know the gray new world opens up all these possibilities so one is papa which is grandkids of as a service one is honor because um, i know honor there's a huge shortage of caretakers uh for for the elderly and so honor is a on-demand caretaker platform that you know is but you're getting off track here are you going with caring for old people or helping people get laid i'm talking about just talking that's my idea but i was just tangentially saying there's some other businesses that are trying to help how about relationship hero what do they do? Never heard of that? No. Jack invested in it, and he says it's going well. It's called Relationship Hero, relationshiphero.com, and they teach you how to do online dating. Oh, okay. Just coaching for online yeah. dating. Go, can you go to Relationship yeah, pull Hero? That That's how it started as. It might be a little bit different. For this, young, yeah, this, this would be for younger people, though. It would be for whoever. I, I think it could be... I think if you did just talking and you ran a bunch of Facebook ads, you could get a lot of people to pay to be a part of a community of people where they can have these online relationships I love the expectation it. is you do not go offline I think it's great it's you know why space. I think it's great is because the way the way, the way that you're positioning it is, is as a marketplace those are notoriously hard to make but once you have them they're great yeah the reason why I like this is you can kind of fake it at first yeah so you can just hire people you can have some operators yeah that are that are providing that companion I think yeah. it's a great idea so you, you could seed the marketplace with the operators yeah I think it's awesome we talked about OnlyFans yeah um, that's trending today on Twitter is it yeah worldwide <laughs> because of what some shit I must have gone I down under, I didn't get the joke I clicked on it and tried to understand it and I didn't right I didn't get it <laughs> one out of three Twitter trends I yeah just don't it, fucking it was, get it was a top <laughs> OnlyFans which we talked about OnlyFans great business but I love just talking I think it, I think that's a great idea thank you thank you for, thank you very much no um, I think that's that's a winner alright I have a question for you now so before last week I think maybe it was when, when I was with Stu but I I shared this anecdote or this this sort of uh, advice, which was if you're offered a seat on a rocket ship, 
um, you know, don't ask which seat. Just sit down and buckle up. And this is just career advice, which is if you're not going to start your own company. Yeah, you got flack for it. Did I? Yeah. Oh, I thought people loved it. What, what do you mean? Well, what, what was the criticism? It's a nice size audience. Not everyone's going to be happy. But what was what was the criticism based on? It wasn't even controversial. Just stuff like um, titles. It was just comments like people saying titles are important. How much you get paid is more important. Things like that. That's crazy. Disagree. Hard disagree. Um, okay. So, anyways, the question was sort of that led to a different question, which is, what are the rocket ships of today? And so, somebody, by the way, took that idea and made a rocket ship newsletter for jobs or Henry whatever. Johnson. Um, but beyond that, I was just sort of thinking, just my thought experiment. Um, what companies that today are worth one to five billion do I believe will be multi hundred billion? So, what's a, just as a way of phrasing it simpler? What $5 billion company today could become a $500 billion company in the future? Okay. I say this because we have friends who bought Facebook secondary stock uh, back in 2006 and uh, 2007 when Facebook was valued at over a billion dollars. And today Facebook's like whatever, $500 billion company. And um, that, you know, it was clear it wasn't going to zero. It was clear it was a thing. And the question – but – you could have invested then and got a phenomenal return. And I have several friends who did. I had a friend, uh, Alex, uh, was, oh no, sorry, Josh Buckley, who's a, who's a good guy, founder. and British guy? Uh, yeah, he's a British yeah, guy. I know him. He's, and so he, um, he was telling me, we were just hanging out one day, and he's like, yeah, I'm buying secondary stock of Stripe as much as I can get. And I was like, oh, like, what do you mean? Like, I'm not doing that. Why, why are you doing that? I should do that. <laughs> uh, and he was like, yeah, I just think Stripe's a great company and there's secondary stock available and I'm just buying it. I'm like, well, what's the valuation? It's already like a $2 billion company. He's like, yeah, but it's like Stripe's going to be big. He's like, I think Stripe's going to be huge. So I'm just buying up secondary. And now, so Stripe's valued now at like $20 billion. Uh, so he took essentially like a no risk bet, in my opinion, and 10 x his money on a private company that was... It was already a unicorn, but wasn't yet on the stock market. wasn't doing like 10% a year. You know, that's a 10x appreciation. So long story short, what companies do you think have that potential that are in the single digit billions today or less that, that you think could be a Facebook, Google, Amazon of our generation? So a few years ago, I answered this question and I, I thought it was Atlassian and I went in on that and, I, and it worked. Okay. Uh, Tell me about that. What do you mean it worked? What, back then it was can you just look look go ahead henry look go to stock atlassian chart. stock or you're busy today i i invested in atlassian stock i mean it's not like i like yeah Adla, uh atlassian spelled with an a at at there it is yeah and then go to all time i bought atlas max on the far right i bought it when it when it went public so what did it go up by it's so that's like a 3x already so i 3x my money so I bought Atlassian because I read their annual report and I was like, oh, these guys are great. Right. And so their market cap's now $35 billion. Yeah. So I bought it right when it went out. So that worked so out wh- well. what do you think can get to the over $100 billion? Because it's very hard to get over $100 billion, How many companies are worth over $100 billion? Like 50? Very, very few. Uh, especially if you think about tech companies. So some of the tech companies that made it, Amazon made it, Google made it, Microsoft made it, Facebook made it. Um, Uber did not quite make it yet, uh, but it's getting there. Tesla made it. Um, like I think I invested in Tesla when it was at about this number five, five to eight billion. Oh, really? And um, now it's almost a hundred billion. And so, like that's a, a that's game. a big lift of a company that it's out there. It's not a seed stage startup you're taking a bet on, right. right? It's a company that's out there. And the other way to take the bet on it, even if you're not an investor, is to go work at one of these companies, right? So, like Airbnb was a good candidate. Uh, now it's t- valued too high to qualify for this. Airbnb is like at, I don't know, $35 billion or something like that. We'll see what happens with this. But it's not in the single-digit billions anymore. But yeah. when we when we moved to San Francisco, we could have done that, right? When like, I moved to San Francisco, you applied. I had a job offer at Airbnb when it was worth a billion. One billion. Maybe less. I don't know. There was only – no, it was less. It was 2012. Right. So, so let's just say it was at a billion, which it wasn't. But let's say it was. Uh, you, you, yeah, I would have made – $10 million. So I don't know. It's 35X. So even if you had just gotten a, a sort of standard stock package, which was like over four years, you're going to get 200 grand. Yeah, I would have made 5 or $10 million. Yeah, that's insane. And I got fired before I even showed up to work. <laughs> uh, so some other candidates that I put up here, Flexport, I think is a candidate. Maybe. Oh, you got some inside intel? That sounded like a juicy maybe. Well, Ryan told me he thinks it's going to be massive or it's going to go bankrupt. Okay. Which is like how you're going to be when you're... Yeah, that's how you're going to be. That's how you got to so be. So some other... Some other, This was harder than I thought. I also tweeted this out. So the most popular answers I got was Airtable and Carta. And I pretty much disagree with both of those. I don't know. I, and I asked. So these are smart people replying. And I was like, Carta? Why Carta? We should get Carta to sponsor this podcast, by the way. 
Yeah, why are they not sponsored? I don't know. You guys need a sponsor. And I'm going to... I don't give a fuck if people sponsor. I'm going to tell you the truth. Carta, it's the best option out there, but it still needs a lot to improve. Right. I use it. I give you guys five grand a year. I'm happy that I give you the money, um, but it, it can improve. Yeah. So Airtable, Airtable, it would have to basically replace Excel in the corporate world for it to do this. Otherwise, it will not be a $100 billion company. How about Gusto? Gusto's a good one. So I think there's a lot that are in the sort of either HR tech. Just you need to be in huge spaces. I like Gusto and Rippling. Yeah, Gusto, Rippling, I think. I would bet. I mean, $100 billion is a high bar, but yeah. So other ones that I, that I put up here. So Stripe, but it's past this point. So Coinbase, only if the Bitco- if Bitcoin actually becomes... Like if Bitcoin actually is the thing, it becomes the global reserve currency, then well, it doesn't have to be the largest Bitcoin sort of company, the largest Bitcoin brand would be, I think. Yeah, it just has. Can it become Bank of America? Can it become Wells Fargo? Yeah, but I think Bitcoin has to become that relevant for Coinbase to be. Yeah, I buy. I buy that. Uh, Open Door is another one, just because residential real estate is so big. So if they actually have a working model, they could become a hundred billion dollar company. I don't buy that because what? Because Zillow and Truly aren't that huge. Uh, they don't do what these guys do, though. Zillow and Trulia, they sell leads to brokers. They're now trying to copy Open Doors, and now they offer what Open Door offers. But Open Door is literally buying and selling the houses. They're flipping houses at scale, which is pretty crazy. What else? This was tough. I don't know. That's all I had. But I put this on here. I wasn't going to talk about it initially, but I'm like, I want to bring this up. I want people to tell me what I'm wrong about, or what, what companies I should be considering in this. But I think it's a really important question because for me, I'm going to go try to buy secondary stock in all these companies. Okay, so I don't... And if you're working, you should go work at one of these companies. $100 billion is... That's impossible. I won't even... I'm not even going to try to predict that because like only like a few hundred people, a few, a few hundred businesses have ever probably done that. I don't know the number, but um, that's really hard to say. But... If I had to make a prediction, I, I I do think that there will be some new search engines, uh, and I also think that some of the new Chrome replacements could be quite large. So Brave is one of them. Um, what's another one? Um, replacing the browser. Yeah, anything that are replacing browsers, I think, are kind of cool and could potentially be that big. I think there's going to be a lot of browser. I think if any company uh, nails AR, they will they will be able to do this. But that's a ways away, I believe. How about uh, Zoosk? Is that what's called? Zooks, the self-driving car company. Yeah, yeah. So that was the other. I I considered all the self-driving car companies because I'm like, if if one of them becomes a success, a self a successful self-driving car company, the the market leader will be worth over 100 billion. It's just more likely. I I believe is more likely to be Tesla or one of the incumbents. Rather, they'll buy one of these companies rather than the, that company independently going from where it is today, which is $1 billion to $100 billion. How about this? What companies are public now that could grow that much? So I was talking to Moyes the other day, and we were looking at stamps.com. Yeah. They were crazy undervalued. And the next day, we were like, let's buy this. And the next day, we didn't buy in time. It went up 50%. Went up 50%. <laughs> um, yeah, I love that. It was coincidental. Just uh, I saw uh, an interesting stat. Over the last 10 years, um, if you had just brought, bought the FANG companies, so Facebook, Amazon, Apple, Google, uh, in the 10 years, it outperformed all VCs, uh, or sorry, it outperformed even the sort of top um, uh, like expected returns of venture capital. So the public market, if you just bought the five most popular tech stocks, you did better. It was a 20, 24% IRR over 10 years. Okay, well, what what's public now that could... I don't fucking know. That's a great question. Um, it's That's hard. You got to really bet on industries. What do you got? What about like whoever becomes the leader in sports gambling? It's going to be sports betting. Good. That's a good. That's a good. Whoever is the number one, whatever that is. And if the legislation keeps opening up, that's a good call. I would do sports betting. I would bet on that industry. That's a great call. Um, Okay, we ventured off into stock tips, so I want to get back because we don't know shit about the stock market, and that's not our that's not our promise. Uh, Let's tell them something else that that we find interesting. What else you got? You want to do one more? I'll mention one other cool company that's related to stocks, actually. Publiccomps.com. So publiccomps.com. Yeah, I saw a guy show this on Twitter. Uh, he's just awesome. breaking down um, S1s for companies, which like a lot of people like to do nowadays. But it's just a good – you don't have to do the research. This guy does the research for you, and he publishes it. I like it. Let's uh, do uh, – let's do uh, let's wrap up with made renovation. You talked about this in one of our very first podcasts ever. Yeah, exactly. So one of our very first ones, I was like, hey, I saw this ad. I think this is awesome idea. What it is, if you don't remember because you're not a diehard – um, the what it was is it's a turnkey bathroom renovation. So if you want your bath, so the ad was just a dope looking bathroom, and it was like if you want this bathroom, it's like five grand, 
and you don't have to like because what what happens today you have to hire a contractor you have to come up with the vision board of what you want it to be you have to choose all these different materials then he sources it and then it turns out and then it's like that's a one-off so they have like four designs of bathrooms you just pick which one you want you want the old victorian cool looking one you want the modern one or you want the middle of the road one yeah i always said i wish barbers were like and here's the price and you just push the button yeah it's it's like actually some barbers do this you go up on the haircut like three uh, yeah i'll take the number three large you know you know no problem so that's what these guys are doing for bathrooms. I thought that was really smart. So it turns out this was not just like some random startup. This is Roger Dickey was starting this, and he's a he started Gigster. Um, he's he's done some cool stuff in Silicon Valley before. So he's he's not a sort him. of a joker. And um, they raised nine million bucks, and they came out of stealth. And I was like, I gave myself a little pat on the back. That's a good one. That, um, that's a good call. That, that's a pretty good call. I still think it's a very cool idea, and I also think that anybody could compete with them because this will not be winner take all because you have to be doing local renovations when did in that different happen? cities uh they announced it this week good so, job yeah uh can i get myself a pat on the back yeah um one of my first angel investments uh lucy uh lucy nicotine.com i think or i don't even know what the url is to be honest um you explain you, what it is people do people don't know i don't but it's huge it's like replacing jewel all my yeah so I invested in <laughs> all your what? All my friends at school. All your friends are buying Lucy. People are, yeah. Oh fuck know. yeah, money in the bank. Yeah. Okay, so <laughs> one of my first angel investments. Uh, I don't remember when this was. Three years ago, the founder of Soylent, Dave, um, who's my friend, Dave Rentel, uh, Renten, he started this thing, and um, it was based. It's basically a nicorette. So it's right. nic- new nicotine, age nicorette, nicotine gum, and. Um, he told me about it, and I was like, all right, well, Dave, you started Soylent, so you're pretty smart. You, you scaled that thing up. Uh, I knew him well. He's a good guy. And it's a... It's a Big it's, market. It's nicotine. So I'm like, okay, well, I mean, this is... Retention's going to be good. Yeah. I'm a, I'm a nicotine user. I like the gum. I, I chew the gum, and I like the... You nic- chew nicorette? Uh, yeah, I like to... I prefer lozenges, so I'll put them in my mouth. Okay. Uh, and um but you don't smoke so you just do this just yeah, nicotine i like nicotine it's i don't drink <laughs> and i don't smoke it's 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 my that's my vice and uh and it's a monthly subscription yeah i was like yeah of course you'll fucking knock that one out the park really smart and they just raised a lot more money and uh so on paper which is completely useless on paper is not going to buy me a house or pay my rent but the valuation went up significantly so i got a little my corner store guy has it at the front by the register and i said okay whatever's at the front by the register that's what's selling that's what this guy Wait, knows will make him money is it really yeah. i really I, 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 I sent dave a picture i was like no shit. This shit uh henry all although the, the guy the guy at the i asked him i said how well does this sell and he's like it's pretty good it's not jewel but it's pretty good of course it's not jewel <laughs> are are the ki- uh, kids are buying nick uh lucy thing, yeah. oh fuck yeah Money Congratulations! The bank. Yeah, <laughs> pay, the, pay the taxes on it. <laughs> oh fuck! Money in the bank. I, I think that's a five or six x so far. I'm proud that yeah. uh, that would be a, a. That's a good investment. I like that one. That would be Not a good obvious. one. I think we're uh, one of the first folks in on that one. Uh, fucking a! I hope it works. Um, and just for the, I, while it is awesome, I uh, it is totally luck. So I'm not going to take that much credit, but awesome. Um, thank you. Give us a review and uh, share with your friends. Yeah. Tell your friends. See ya.